0: today on the Emmaus Institute for disciple making podcast Brian Abernathy and Ben seals unpack chapters one and two of Tim Keller's book every
1: good endeavor all right um, it changed colors so I think that means it's recording um, I'm Brian Abernathy and I uh, Uh, excited that you guys are here tonight this is ben seals i don't want to pass the microphone back and forth so i'm going to say his name for him Um, and uh, we're really excited to get to teach this class and to have all of you all here with us Um, so as we start out tonight the first thing that's probably relevant to share is that we didn't know you wouldn't have a book until tonight until monday so sorry that we sent something out talking about reading when most of you didn't have a book but don't worry, we've got a little uh, triage plan for that. So we're going to uh, keep on the course outline that we started with. Ben will talk a little bit more about how we're going to approach the book. Um, but as we uh, as we get started, really just wanted to give you all a, a little bit of perspective on who we are, uh, why we uh, wanted to teach this class, kind of how this book particularly, but this issue of work uh, in our life as believers has really played out for the two of us and really kind of lived that out and talked through that, walked through that together over many years since I think about nine or 10 years ago, going through this book uh, in a men's Bible study at Emmaus. Um, So just uh, my sort of perspective, uh, like, you know, nature, nurture, whatever you want to call it uh, coming into work uh, for me, the very first thing I can remember in my life getting, lauded for or acknowledgement of being good at something was working Uh, i was working in the yard and just being appreciated by parents grandparents other places i started my little like lawn mowing business right when i was like 10 um, uh, which probably didn't break even but it felt like it was this good thing to do Um, so better or worse for me that just sort of became something i ran to um, and Never really quit working. Like I worked all through middle school, high school, college. like I was just always uh, working. Um, and as much as I didn't realize it for many of those years was very much drawing identity from that and pride in that and had ambition and all that. Um, that isn't particularly a bad thing, as we're going to talk about, but it wasn't necessarily something that I saw through a kingdom or a biblical worldview lens. Uh, So I I came out of college and went into full-time vocational parachurch ministry and uh, really threw myself into that. Uh, And it was especially easy to do that because it was God's work, right? Like I was a professional Christian, so I could overwork and I could not have Sabbath uh, and I could be really driven and ambitious. And it was all good because it was all for God, except like there was still this big part of it that was still all for me and I didn't really understand that. Um, So interestingly for me, the last time we went through this book, I was transitioning out of the stage in my career where I had been working in faith-based nonprofit organizations, uh, and going into the private sector for-profit work. And so reading this start to finish again today was a very different perspective than it was nine, 10 years ago where Uh, A lot of my perspective on work was coming in a ministry context. uh, Whereas today, I work with very, very few believers. The clients that uh, our company works for are largely, totally just secular, doing their own thing organizations, right? Like, I've gone from uh, all believers all around me all the time to almost none. And so that aspect of carrying the kingdom into a workplace... Is not my job anymore it's something I get to do by the nature of my job Um, but those same things in me of drive and ambition and pride and a little bit of of arrogance that comes along with that like those things that were there in ministry that were sort of easy to whitewash carried over into the the professional for-profit world and manifested themselves in really different ways that um, we'll talk through as we kind of unpack these chapters, but uh, began to see with a very different perspective, the way that work is wired into us, the way that it is part of God's avenue. uh, As uh, uh, Colossians says that Christ came to redeem all things to himself, right? Like not just people who would be saved, but all things. So uh, work is an avenue for the Lord's redemption in the world. Um, Not just reaching the lost, which is sort of a a progression from outreach ministry to uh, working, uh, just, you know, normal everyday work type stuff like I do today. Um, And then across the way in that, uh, got married, had kids, uh, life dynamic changes uh, along with team dynamics. Um, and even in that context, something I just specifically want to make sure to spotlight. I appreciate those of you who kind of gave us some perspective in that little pre-survey. We've got a lot of really diverse perspective in career, in family type, uh, types of organizations, roles that you've got. Um, so as we discuss this book, uh, because we really do want it to be more of a discussion and less of us talking to you. Um, we really want to hear y'all's perspectives, um, partly because everyone's perspective in here is unique, but it's very likely that every one of us on a daily basis work alongside or end up interacting with people who are gonna have similar perspectives to other people in this room. Uh, So please don't hold back a thought or a comment or a question or something that you've interacted with and wrestled with um, in your professional and, and, and life of following Christ and where those intersect because it's really going to be beneficial to all of us to hear those things so that we can then carry that back into the places that we are each day. Um, and as we really want to guide through this discussion, uh, all be better equipped to carry the kingdom and carry that biblical worldview into the work we do each day and uh, and really be able to connect that to how it is bringing uh, reconciliation and redemption to the world around us and the people that we interact with. So. Um, yeah. Cool. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. And I don't have
0: COVID. <laughs> I checked. It's just a cold. Um, I, I just want to echo what Brian said. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's a privilege uh, to get the opportunity uh, to walk through this book with you guys. Um, Brian mentioned he and I both walked through this book in men's Bible study 10 years ago when Emmaus was still meeting on AstroTurf and at WPI, and that, that was a while ago. Um, a little bit about my perspective and, and where I've come from. So I, I didn't get saved until later in life. So uh, my wife and I both got saved in uh, late college, so 1920, um, grew up with a very secular, late college, I guess that's half behind me now, but ultimately, like I didn't grow up with a, a biblical worldview. Um, I didn't grow up in a home that had a biblical worldview, that didn't have a perspective of work. Um, The home that I grew up in was very much like you work to make money to retire and you look to gather as many things and toys as trinkets as possible. And that's the perspective that I have on work was um, I am in it to make money. I'm in it to grow me. I'm in it to grow and secure my family. I am here to uh, make as much as possible um in the amount of time that i have the opportunity to work because money is the ultimate security Um, so that's the home that that i grew up in Um, ultimately when i got saved um i thought that the lord had called me into ministry and so my perspective was okay now that i've failed flunked or been kicked out of college three times I need to go back and finish a degree, a so I can marry this awesome girl who also got saved with me, but also so that I can actually go do something with my life. Um, Wound up getting a history degree, Uh, and so my undergraduate degree is in colonial American history, which is super irrelevant to the business world. Uh, But at the end of the day, um, the Lord had other plans. So as I was in my senior year of college and was applying for jobs because I knew I was getting married and needed to actually be able to put food on the table, Um, he said, we're gonna take a sharp right turn and you're gonna go into a corporate leadership program at a Fortune 30 company. Um, So I went to work for a small company that's called Lindy. Um, It's one of the largest, 30 largest companies in the world. Um, And they taught me how to run a business. Um, And by God's grace, that is where uh, my path from Ministry sort of not necessarily diverged, but took a different course than I expected. Uh, I went into their leadership program. Um, They uh, I was I was sort of that like right uh, in the right place, but the wrong person at the right time kind of scenario. Um, And they pulled me out of the leadership program at 24 and gave me a 26 million dollar business to run. And so it was sort of this like, hey, we're going to take a kid from small town, Texas, and throw him onto Long Island, New York, and have him go run a business that's failing. Um, Congratulations, you've got 14 months, figure it out. We'll pull you out one way or the other. Um, Their form of pulling me out was selling me. Um, So I got sold in a transaction that started my career in transactions. Um, I have been on one side of the table or another in seven transactions throughout my career, and I'm actually in the middle of one right now. Um, So very different experience than my history degree allowed, uh, but ultimately along the way, as Brian and I were reading Every Good Endeavor, actually, um, he was like, hey, do you want to go get lunch? <laughs> oh,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and Brian's a pretty frugal guy, so we found a free lunch uh, for him. Uh, the free lunch was with UGA at their MBA recruiting course. Um, I bought the lunch hook line and sinker over the next two years. He got a free lunch. Um, so I went back to school about uh, five years ago and got a degree that actually legitimizes the work that I do or vice versa. Uh, but ultimately I have an MBA from UGA. Um, I, I love business. Uh, I, I bring that history historian perspective, research perspective to the work I do. I read a ton. So when I was interviewing with Lindy Praxair, I thought it was a good idea to read their quarterly statement. Like, that's what I did prepping for the interview. When I get into a situation that I don't understand, like in the management program, I figured out a book. And so they were like, hey, we need you to build this Excel model. So I went and read the Excel book. Like, that's how my brain's wired. I don't have the same mechanical giftings that Brian has. I have a very research-oriented, knowledge-oriented, um, I devour information and then hopefully some of it's useful. Um, And and every once in a while a blind squirrel gets a nut. Um, So that's kind of, that's my story. Um, Outside of what I do for the organization that I work for, um, my wife and I, if you don't know Amanda, she's amazing. We have four kids. Um, We had two of them while I was in the MBA program. Um, So she's a saint. Um, And ultimately, Um, the first time I read this book, just as sort of where I was in my career, I was like frustrated at where I was working, like wanted to get out, wanted to quit, but I had a wife and two kids at home and she was a stay-at-home mom. And I knew that that zero plus a lot of expense doesn't equal a balance sheet. Um, and so ultimately, uh, the Lord's word for me in that moment was stay put and suffer for his glory for a period of time. And so, as you, um, as Brian said, the, the perspectives in this room matter. What you guys are walking through in this room matters. Um, there's a lot of changes going on in uh, the workforce right now. There's a lot of changes going on in the economy right now. Um, there's, there's un, um, it's unrealistic for me to think that there's not a lot of changes going on in each and every one of your lives. And so, um, for those of you who Uh, You know, I know some of you are considering other job opportunities or looking at other opportunities. Like we want to be that community that is part of what uh, Brian shared a little bit earlier. We want to be that community that helps you walk through whatever your current experience is, whether it's the frustration of like, I hear about all these people getting jobs. That was me 10 years ago. I've been applying for all these jobs and I can't get a stinking interview. Um, Turns out every interview that the Lord has given me, I've gotten the job for. But when I go looking for interviews on my own, it doesn't work out so well. It winds up being a colossal waste of my family's time. Um, and, and so there's perspective in, in counsel, right? That's what the Bible says about there's wisdom in the counsel of the people in this room. There's wisdom in the counsel of this book. And so um, Brian and I wanted to start it this evening by sharing our stories um, of a lot of imperfection and a lot of grace from the Lord and a lot of grace from our families and the church members that that have helped walk us through the changes that we've been through over the course of our time here at Emmaus. Uh, But ultimately, um, we just want to reiterate, there's a lot of grace for you as well. Um, And there's a lot of opportunity in the community of believers in a book like this, but ultimately through the Holy Spirit, through the power of scripture for you to see God's plan and God's design for the work that he has called you to. So um, with that, uh, the next thing that uh, we're going to talk about, so we're going to kind of dive into the book. We're still going to kind of keep on pace, recognizing that many of you have not uh, had the opportunity to uh, work through the first two chapters. We just want to explain why we're breaking down and how we're breaking down this course over the next six weeks. So um, it's helpful. There's 12 chapters. And so 12 divided by 2 for the accountants in the room uh, is six because finance guys do math and accountants count. Um, so, um, we're breaking it up into two chapters, but it's, it turns out that the book is really divided up into three different parts. And the first is talking about what is the original design for work, right? And we want to spend a good amount of time lingering in the reality. We don't want to rush the fact that our perspective of work is different than the perspective of work a hundred years ago. It's different than the perspective of work 500 years ago or 7,000, 10,000 years ago when God created work. And so we've got to get grounded. And I really want to encourage you to marinate in the first two chapters as much as you can. You've got to read chapters forward, intro through chapter four for next week. Um, so uh, I'm an Audible guy. I cheat. Um, I do have a physical copy of the book, but it's also available on Audible. Um, Uh, we want to get through the foundation of how God created work, what he designed it for. Um, And then we're going to talk about uh, ultimately like the work, the consequence of work as in a fallen world. Like we don't always get to see the fruit of the work that we do. A lot of the times the work that we do or the problems that we solve, or even the people that we work with or for uh, seem pointless. Um, and, And so there's, there's good, realities for us to marinate and realize that there's a there's a part of our work that will yield thorns and thistles that is a promise of the curse Um, that is a consequence of sin but then ultimately where we want to spend a good chunk of time and where we want to get to as fast as reasonably possible is the fact that our work will be redeemed and then on the other side of this life we will have work to do and there is like we're not just going to play a harp like there is, there is an expectation that we will work and the Lord will give you gifts and talents and abilities that not only will you see the full perspective of and the full realization of, you may not see the full realization of them now. But one day you will get the opportunity to see the full realization of the sales work that you do or the teaching work that you do or the mechanic or IT or leader or business development person. Whatever that role is for you, like you'll get to see the full fruit of that in glory. And that's where the Lord asks us to fix our eyes. So that's where we want to walk through sort of creation fall and redemption, but we want to get to redemption because ultimately we believe that's where a healthier perspective of work can be realized when we see the fact that um, the Lord has called each and every one of us to something. And that calling, and the book talks about the difference between a job and a vocation, is the fact that in a vocation, somebody tells you this is your job. They call you to that. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is 2 Timothy, chapter two, where it talks about the three different types of workers. You got the farmer, the soldier, uh, and I forget the other one. But ultimately, like it's um, God is calling those people to a specific task. He calls that soldier who is enlisted in the work that he's supposed to do to please the one who enlisted him. My job as God's soldier in the work that I do as the leader of a business, I don't get to carry a gun and I'm not in the military at all. And if this physique doesn't get me there, Um, like it's to please the one who enlisted me. And so you have the opportunity to please the Lord in the work that you do. And that's where we want to get to and getting to the redemption of work. So that's kind of where we're headed. That's why we're going to fast pace this week. Um, We truly believe that there's a lot of opportunity um, to really dig in and understand where you're at Um, but ultimately we want to get to questions. So um, we're just going to give our brief synopsis, um, and Brian's going to keep me honest on time because I get the mic for most of the biggest chunk of tonight, and so you got to make sure we we hustle through this. But um, we're going to talk through the first two chapters, the design of work and the dignity of work um, this evening. And so um, the way that we're going to really structure this is, um, you know, Brian and I are each going to, lighten the load for each other. We're going to divide up the work. We're going to work through one of the chapters. We're going to come to you with some of our perspectives and ideas, but that will be the smaller portion of the evening. The question, answers, dialogue, soliciting feedback from you. That's where we want to get to as fast as possible. Tonight will be a little bit variant from that because we recognize you haven't had the opportunity to work through it. Um, But I'm going to start by talking about God's design for work. Um, So one of one of the things that, that I learned in the book is that, um, surprisingly, the Christian worldview for work is unique. Um, ultimately, uh, this is a reoccurring theme throughout scripture that our perspective in life, our perspective on redemption, our perspective on holiness and righteousness is unique to the rest of the world. Um, but it's no different in work. God actually designed work and c- considers work good for us to do. And so in his design of work, you see right out of the book or right out of the gate in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, God's working. He's actually doing work. As he looks at creation and the um, structure or lack of structure, the void, the emptiness that is in creation, he speaks into that and works into that to bring dominion, to bring control, to bring providence to bring structure and work. The other thing that we see from God in that is that he finds joy in his work, right? He looks at the work that he did and he pronounces that it was very good. And so there's an opportunity for us to find joy in the work that we do. And sometimes it's hard, right? The day in, the day out, the monotony, the politics, the egos, our sin, On top of everybody else's sin, like, it makes it difficult, right? Mostly our sin. Um, But there is opportunity for us to find joy in the work that we do, especially if it is the vocation that the Lord has called you to. Um, And so ultimately, you know, God designs work. He finds joy in that work. He works. Our God, the ultimate creator in the universe that can speak the world into existence, worked. How he did that, the labor of that, what that looks like. We know that it didn't impact his energy, right? He is omniscient, omnipowerful. It doesn't impact his need for rest, but ultimately he took part in a work in creating the world. Um, and then, you know, the, the other key thing is he rested. We don't like to talk about that in America because we just like to go, 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 go and always have a device and always be on and always be checking emails and always be doing something. But our God rested. And ultimately, he created us for rest. And if we don't recognize, Brian talked a little bit about it um, in his story. uh, Frankly, it's a huge part of mine. um, When we don't find that accurate, godly, biblical rhythm of rest... We are not fulfilling who the Lord called us to be. And so there's an opportunity in all of, you know, in those three things, in the fact that God designed work, that he did work, and that he rested, that we have a perspective or gain a perspective in what he has called us to. So I want to give you guys a few things to think about as you think about what um, uh, God actually meant for us to do as we worked. Um, And so uh, the first thing is dominion. So God gave us dominion over the earth before the fall. He asked Adam to sit down and name all the animals. And as I was thinking about this opportunity in this class, like I've never really thought about like how hard it must have been to name the animals. As they come by, all the animals, every creature, like, I would, that's I, I, not how my brain's wired. But to sit in that moment, and Adam had the opportunity, alligator, elephant, I'm sure he did it in a different language, but ultimately, like, you get the perspective of, like, the creativity that Adam was equipped with to name the animals that God passed before him. And each of us have that same opportunity to bring that creativity to our work. We have dominion over the work that we do. Um, one of the stories that the, that the book talks about is how, like, Mozart or another composer, full disclosure, I can't read music. I think it's amazing and beautiful, but I don't know a lick about it. They could visualize sonatas. They could visualize symphonies, and they bring that vision, and they put that vision on paper. The same way a painter paints a picture, there's a vision of what that's going to look like before they start. That's the same vision that God gives us for the work that we do. We have an opportunity to look at the work or the vocation that God has called us to and to bring that vision to light in the work that we do. Um, so he gives us dominion. Um, the second reason that he allows us to work is for relationships. It is an opportunity like Brian and, and Jacob talked about tonight, it's an area or an, env- an area or an environment for us to build relationships you spend more time with the people at work than you do with the people that you live in the same home with friends family um, there are bonds and relationships that we have the privilege of building with people because of the work that we do and so you have the privilege to speak into their lives as long as you earn that you have the opportunity to know them and be relational with them and not just to know the work they do not just to know the the task that they perform for your team or how they do that but to really know them and be an ambassador for them ultimately that's that's part of our job right and that's probably our number one vocation is to be an ambassador for christ subtitled with salesperson or teacher or business development person is you're there to be a missionary for the gospel you're there to be an ambassador for the kingdom of god and secondarily you're a teacher um, and so those relationships are part of what God designed for us in work. He designed work to be fruitful and to create growth. So one of the things that, um, that I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about over this last weekend is just how much opportunity the Lord left in the world for us to recognize. And he left that there specifically for us to draw the fruit out of the world and be co-creators with him now we're not co-gods and I'm going to be very clear like this is not pantheism but ultimately we get to co-create with God the fruit that he has left for us to produce and the honor and the privilege that that is and whatever your work is is an opportunity for you to see the fullness of what God envisioned before the creation of the world coming to fruition through you and so that's a privilege that we all get. We get to bear the fruit of what is somehow lacking in the organization or structure of creation on behalf of the creator of the universe. And that's like a weighty, but also like really exciting opportunity to think about. Um, And then finally, uh, the last is provision. Ultimately, we, we are called to work in order to provide for our families, to provide for our cultures, to provide for the communities that we're in. It's not just a selfish provision. It is a, an opportunity to um, be involved in the redemption of the worlds around us or the world around us. And so that provision that the Lord gives us through the work that we do is something that we also have to steward and, and be mindful of as we work for his kingdom and his glory. So um, there's a lot more detail and Tim Keller is a heck of a lot more eloquent than I am, um, in, in the chapters, but those are just some of the things that, that I wanted to point out as you think about how God designed work and how he created us to participate with him in his work of creation.
1: Um, and I'll, <clears throat> I'll add a little bit on that subject of provision. As we transition to the second chapter and the idea of dignity of work, um, so as I worked in uh, parachurch nonprofit ministries, coming out of college and even in the last couple of years of college, um, was fundraising, raising personal support in those ministries. And then as my career progressed, uh, today I, I work for a national fundraising consulting company, and we manage capital campaigns for organizations all over the country. Um, and I can tell you countless stories of encountering people who are believers who the way that the lord has provided for them in a way that they see that connection to redemption is that their gifting is not to go reach high school kids it's not to go somewhere else but they look at it and say i'm really good at x y and z or i invented something so i can send those people right like there's so much kingdom perspective just in that last point of provision of the way the Lord uses us in the work we do, to move the kingdom forward all over the world. So there's so many layers and uh, just um, strings tied in with all of this. Um, I don't know where that came from. It was not in my in my notes at all, but whatever. Um, so dignity. <clears throat> Anybody ever been laid off? I have. Uh, you don't really feel really great after that happens, right? So. Uh, As my career in ministry uh, from a vocational standpoint was coming to an end, Um, I had been married for a handful of months uh, right before uh, marrying my wife, Starla, who I forgot to mention earlier. Don't tell her that. She won't listen to the recording. Don't worry. Um, And uh, we have two little girls. Um, uh, We got married, moved into a house, and uh, adopted a dog. There's this other life that's dependent on us. Um, and I had been told several months before I was going to get this promotion, was going to go to this, uh, you know, faraway wasteland of Rockdale County, Georgia to lead a ministry area there. And then a few weeks later, I got a phone call. Uh, this is in 2008, not long after money just disappeared all over. Um, uh, well, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So, um, we're not gonna have a job for you after the end of April. It's like, cool. Cause for the first time in my life, there are other things that depend on me, um, And that was not a really dignifying moment for me. That was, um, quite frankly, terrifying and frightening and like, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And the Lord in His goodness had been preparing my heart for that because I was not in a healthy place to be working in full-time ministry um, just in terms of my mindset for it. And rhythms in life were not uh, healthy at that point uh, in terms of Sabbath and rest and Um, not being arrogant about the ministry I was doing particularly. Um, And so the Lord put me in a place where I got to work in a metal fabrication uh, facility for about a year and a half. Uh, And it was really noisy, so I had to wear headphones. And so I listened to uh, a really extensive sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Uh, And if you've ever spent much time in the book of Proverbs, it's it's like the... Every, every single proverb, there is something that has to do with work. Um, one of my favorites, this is my HR proverb that I, that I recite at work all the time uh, to people who are not believers and look at me like it's weird, is um, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but an abundance of crop comes from the strength of the ox, which means sometimes you have to shovel some crap to get a lot of work done, right? Like literally, that's pretty much what that proverb means. So that's my mindset on HR. Um, but uh, so things like that that Proverbs has been really really formative for me in looking at work Um, there's another great proverb uh, a man skillful in his ways will not stand before obscure men but he will stand before kings Uh, I remember reading that um, not long after going through this book before and just kind of changing my mindset uh, having left full-time ministry looking at professional private sector work of the Lord can put me in places if I'm faithful to do well at what I'm given to do each day, whether that's welding or something else, right? Um, And so there's dignity in that. One of the other Proverbs in that phase of life that has, uh, from the first time I I remember reading it and letting it soak in, and, and Keller mentions it in this chapter, Proverbs 13, 23, Uh, It says, the fallow ground of the poor would bear much fruit, but it's swept away by injustice. Uh, So there is this inherent uh, capacity and and God-given purpose to produce fruit that's in us. Uh, And there are things in this world of all kinds, sin being the axiom of all of that, that steals that fruitfulness. Uh, And when it does that, it steals the dignity of people as well. And so at least for me... I've experienced that in that time where I was like, well, what the heck am I going to do with my life? Like I said, uh, for too long, my identity and my value had been placed in work. And all of a sudden, I didn't have any work to do. So it was sort of a little bit of a crisis for me to try to figure out. And I had bills for the first time ever in life at that point. So um, uh, that dignity matters for us uh, in the work that we do. Um, And there's some questions that we'll kind of walk through in conversation around this in a minute. But the other big factor here uh, that I have learned is how we approach our work uh, also impacts the dignity in in those around us. Uh, It impacts the dignity of those that we work with and around, maybe if you have direct reports that you're managing, um, or uh, another crazy story just pops in my head. Um, For many years, some of you guys knew this, I worked, doing field work, traveled all the time. So I was like gone 40, 50 weeks a year. Um, Worked with a client in a different state five years ago. Um, And this was one of those really unhealthy but really productive work seasons of my life, right? Where I had a wife and two kids at home and I would leave Monday morning and work until Friday afternoon when I pulled back in the driveway. So not really good balance and rhythm in life, right? Um, But great opportunity for the Lord to teach me things. Um, So when I was working with that client, I didn't have anything to do. I didn't work eight hour days, I worked all day. I loved it, because I could just work. Again, I was finding value in a place that, um, to go back to dignity was not really biblically honoring the call that I had to cultivate dignity in my wife and my kids, right? So like, there's some issues there. Um, But the woman that cleaned the offices there would come in at the end of the day and I would say hello. I never thought anything of it. Uh, So fast forward five years uh, in October, I was back in that same office leading that client through a strategic planning process, sitting there at the end of the day, and um, had not been back in that city in five years. And the cleaning lady walked in and walked up to me and asked me where I'd been. And I'm like, I don't remember you. I didn't say that, but in my mind, I was like, she's like, oh, you, you were at that desk up there. You know, what happened? And I was like, well, I, it, it just didn't, didn't even register to me. But she remembered that some now it also makes me think, how do the people that work in that office every day treat her? Right. Like it's a whole different story. But there are so many simple ways that we don't just get to recognize that the Lord has put a aspect of his identity and dignity for us as his followers. But we can carry that into the places that we work every day. Um, and uh, there's several places this is going to kind of come up in conversations over the next several weeks. Um, but that dignity is, is two-sided. It is, where are we finding dignity? Are we finding that dignity in the work that we do? Or finding ways to be reminded of it. I've uh, been mentioned this is the story of creation, fall, and redemption, right? That by itself is an opportunity that we can carry the gospel into a context where people may not know those words. Uh, and I love that one of the first uh, books that's quoted in chapter 2 is Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged. Uh, which uh, I'm not going to recommend because I don't really know that I'm allowed to recommend that book. Um, But Ayn Rand, if you don't know who that is, like militant atheist, like not a Christian woman at all. But yet in the writing that she did on this idea of um, objectivism was the philosophical principle, but of human dignity connected to our work. Arguably to an unhealthy and unrealistic degree, again, without the lens of Scripture and a biblical worldview. Uh, but there is truth in that, in what happens when we steal people's dignity by how we treat them in a work environment. That every single one of us can in- interact with and see on a daily basis. And it gives us an opportunity to recognize that that's a gospel truth that the world might not see. They might not know it is that. But when you see creation and fall and redemption, and it may be startup and collapse in chapter 13, I mean, you can find all these different places that that cycle comes up in our lives. This was a class on uh, marriage and family. We probably have a whole nother stack of places that that cycle comes up, right? Um, As we approach work with a biblical worldview, uh, the Lord gives us the ability to spot those gospel uh, rhythms that that process in the world around us each day and we can carry truth into that and use that as a foothold with people who will recognize those realities but might not recognize that there's a, a bigger picture principle and a kingdom reality around those. So um, it, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's important that we find the ways to spot that in our work uh, and that we find that linked to the Lord And who the Lord has made us to be, and who the Lord has been said has called us to be. Um, I am not the researcher. Like for me, my brain is just wired to identify and build like processes, stuff, whatever it is. I worked in metal shops, so like fabrication, that's just the way my brain works. Uh, And in the work that the Lord has me doing on a daily basis, most of the work that I do feels like the most exhausting fruitless stuff and never gets anywhere. Uh, And I know that I have to find those places to sort of therapeutically give myself completion in something. Um, And so whatever that is, whether it's projects and stuff that I do around the house, that reminder of the dignity of, I finished this task, uh, right, is important because it reminds me that there are tasks that it's been said I'll never complete but there's a godly purpose for leaning into those in the work that I do each day. Um, and, uh, and even how that ripples through and affects the lives of the people that I work with, uh, the, people that, uh, the people that, the clients that we work with, work with and the communities that they work in all over the country. Um, so that, that dignity piece is really, really important um, and will play through this uh, throughout uh, there's a story in the, the intro to the book that I'll kind of uh, call on a little bit since you guys haven't, uh, uh, some of you haven't read it yet. Um, and it's a, a story by J.R. Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings, but it's called Leaf by Niggle, uh, or Nigel, Nigel? Niggle. Is it Niggle or Nigel. Is I, it Nigel or Nigel? I don't know. Okay. So. Uh, okay, Niggle. We're going to go with the audiobook. book. Um, and it's this artist, right, that uh, he's going to paint this wonderful forest. And he starts painting and he just, he, he starts with one leaf, right? And that's all he ever gets done. I was going like, to tell the whole story. I'm going to stop because then it'll ruin the book. Um, spoiler alert. Um, but it's that what was he going to be content with? Uh, what is the thing that the Lord has called me to, that the Lord has called us to in our work today, this week, um, that is the task that we're to focus on? And can we have the perspective from him to see that that is a part of a bigger picture? And each of us may have parts that are different scales. One of us might be working on a leaf. One of us might be painting the sky, right? Like there's all these different pieces. Um, it, are we trusting the Lord with what he has put in front of us and trusting that he has a purpose for that for us and that there is dignity in, in that in whatever it is, no matter how high or low um, the task may be? So uh, with that... Uh, We want to just kind of bounce some discussion questions out off of these couple of chapters. And because this is not going to pick up discussion, I'm officially going to stop. the. We'll let it record. I don't know if we should. I don't know. Um, So Ben's going to talk about uh, some stuff on chapter one, and then we'll kind of go back and forth.
0: So I guess the, the first question that I want to throw out to everybody is, how does your work allow you to complete God's creative work? So in the work you do each and every day, how does it give you the opportunity to fulfill more of God's work in creation? Thanks for sharing. Look, I think that's why, that's why we're in this class, right? And ultimately as you read through chapter one, it'll talk about like, it, I think it lists seven or eight things about like, what's the main purpose of work? Um, and, and as you read those, like look at, you know, I, I think about the the cabinets that you build. Well, um, and the work that John does. So John works for Northside Hospital. Well, they don't get to do surgery and save people's lives if they don't have the right cabinets in the room to have the right stuff on the shelf. So the cabinets that you build save lives, right? And that's the, that's the dignity of the work. I don't know where you sell your cabinets, it may be in people's homes. Uh, we love cabinets at our house feeding four kids and a dog. Uh, we need more cabinets, but like, I don't know if it's residential or commercial, but um, you know, it, but it's the same story, right? And maybe not to quite as a dramatic extreme as saving lives in a hospital, but ultimately you're helping enrich people's lives, organize lives, which organization is part of what God created, right? He created the systems of this world to be organized, so I think there's a lot of dignity in cabinetry and i can tell you you know brian and i are are really good friends outside of this and i marvel at the stuff that he can build with like a handsaw and some sandpaper um i think that's how you build all that stuff i don't know um but ultimately like that that gift is amazing to me because i I don't get it i run a spreadsheet all day long because i read a book about it but (laughs) Yeah. So I just graduated in May and, okay. I, and I I was like okay, I got to be involved in the family business. And uh I'm quite incapable of like building something. <laughs> <laughs> You're in good company, brother. Um So the the last question that um I kind of want to I want to ask about sort of the the design of work and I, I want to read this quote Um, because ultimately, um, Brian's not the only one on this stage who struggles with rest and Sabbath and rhythm and putting what God has prescribed as my first priorities as first priority, Um, right? My relationship with him is primary, my relationship with my wife and family is secondary, and my work is a distant third, Um, and oftentimes it is not that order. Um, So uh, I underlined this as I listened and read through this, but Um, the work-obsessed mind, which could also read Ben Seals, as in our Western culture, tends to look at everything in terms of efficiency, value, and speed. Right, Like that's how I look at the world. So on a daily basis when I get up and am trying to do my quiet time, I'm thinking about work more than I'm thinking about the chapter of Scripture I just read. I'm thinking about... The work that I, the tasks that I need to do or a sign out or people I need to call, it's five o'clock in the morning, but I, I'm not calling them. Uh, actually, you know, stories. So um, every, uh, every once in a while I have insomnia because I'm so wrapped up in work. And one day I had insomnia so bad that I showed up at Starbucks at two o'clock in the morning and then I started calling people at six o'clock in the morning because I thought it was like nine o'clock. And like, that's when I realized I had a really unhealthy rhythm. It wasn't the first time I realized it, but it was a clear wake up call. And by the grace of God, like, I work in an unbelieving organization for unbelieving owners. So I work for uh, a fairly large medical practice. Um, I don't think a single one of the doctors that I work for is a believer, um, but the six people that are on my leadership team, four of them are believers. So it's this like really cool, God-given remnant that I couldn't have created that love the Lord. And so we hold each other accountable. And on my third phone call, uh, somebody was like, "Hey, do you know what time it is? Uh, I'm not even in the office yet." And I was like, "Oh, dang. So um, so back to the quote, "To the work-obsessed mind that tends to look at everything in terms of efficiency, value and speed. How do you describe leisure and rest, and what is that rhythm in your life? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Which
0: I know is not healthy. No, and so it's, I think it's funny, Mario, you called it the pink elephant, right? And so the the joke is like, hey, I want you to not think about anything except a pink elephant. (laughs) Now guess what you can't stop thinking about, right? Hey, don't think about work. Read your Bible. Well, what do you think about? Work. Hey, don't think about work. Go play baseball with your kids. What do you think about? work. And so it's that, that challenge of, and for, for me, what I've, what i found is uh, I, I can't woodwork, but I got to find something for my hands to do. Um, right now that gift is baseball with my boys. Um, and so, um, my wife has been very gracious to prod me, remind me and encourage me to say yes when they want to go throw a baseball. Cause it's about the only, th- and it's not going to last forever, a, eh? But it's about the only thing to get my mind off of work is going out there and throwing up all of my kids.
1: The proverb that makes He
2: provides the grace, mm. you know, he provides the grace. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for
1: sharing. Anybody else that once your brain starts work, doesn't stop until you sleep for a few hours, right? Like I'm the same way. If I don't do other stuff mentally in the morning, it will never happen. Now, mm-hmm. short end of that state goes to my kids, right? Because all that stuff happens hours before they're even awake. So that's a whole nother area of practice for me to really have to lean into. But um, yeah. So thinking in dignity, right? A couple of questions I'll throw out there. uh, And then y'all can just kind of answer one or the other, however you'd like to. Um, What do you do that you feel most dignified in? Uh, One. And what is the thing that you're just good at? Uh, whether it's uh, a skill that you've picked up, a way that the Lord has just wired you that Ben can consume that information and spit it out into application of something. Uh, for me, it's systems and infrastructure uh, and, and building process. Um, <clears throat> what are those things? Do you do you know what those are? And uh, that, so that's one. And the other is where do you feel dignity in the work that you do, or maybe not in the work that you do? Because... Sometimes the Lord gives us that in other places, and our work is, is oftentimes just feels like toil, right? Uh, so dignity and, and gifting.
3: Like I said earlier, like, I think my strength lies in building relationships, very people-oriented. Um, but I've also been in fast food for 22 years, so I worked for Chick-fil-A before, before this, and the, it can be very undignifying work, right? You're cleaning up crap in a, uh, a playground, or you're scrubbing uh, grease, or you know you're doing uh, you're, you're doing some very uh, medial tasks. But the way I've kind of one thing I've been learning, I guess you could say, is that it's kind of like this. I call it the Joseph comp- um, complex, where it's like you know he was the best son he could possibly be he was his um, father's favorite son he was the best slave he could be until he was the number one slave he was the best prisoner he could possibly be and so I've kind of just been learning that throughout the course of my career and trying to share that with people that I consult or coach and say you know it's in society it's not like the most dignified job serving sandwiches or Working quick service, working fast food, but you um, whatever you do in life, do your best at it because mm. um, you do like we feed people, right? And we we enrich people's lives and we make people uh, um, they come to us hungry and famished, and we feed them and nourish them, and so that has kind of been just sort of my perspective in my career. Mm. Awesome.
2: Um, my story is I was stay-at-home mom for five years and just went back a few months ago and it's just a really weird uh, transition <laughs> and um, way of being. Um, so I work part-time but I would say that my um, gift that I'm coming to sort of recognize more is just with listening. And I think in that comes what makes me feel dignified is really just getting that feedback from you know patients i'm interacting with just really feeling like oh nobody's Mm -hmm. ever explained that to me nobody's ever taken the time and um so that really blesses me to to use that gift and see the reward in it and i think the challenge i'm having is the structure is not set up to accommodate (laughs) that very well because it's just moving 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 i'm like i need less patience (laughs) it needs to be slower so sometimes that's kind of the challenge in being able
0: to fully really use
1: that because mm-hmm. yeah. that efficiency profitability whatever those things those those don't apply to relationships right like that's not the way that human interaction is made to work and we find ourselves in environments where um we're f- pushed towards that for profitability and so that's a huge huge tension absolutely can see that that's cool Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Good time for maybe one or two more.
2: I guess I'm similar to you in some sense, Brian. I'm picking up. I'm good with processes, like identifying gaps or problems, and then developing some type of process to kind of like merge into a solution. Um, So I really enjoy doing things like that. To you know, could be a good part that part as well, Um, and then just being able to take someone's overall or general idea or picture and construct it in a way that, construct a plan to meet it in a feasible type of way. So I just enjoy enjoy Mm -hmm. doing things like that, very organized, sometimes to a fault, and very structured in the way I think. Very, very, uh, a very linear thinker sometimes, Um, but it served me well in like,
1: I would make Gantt charts for family vacations if my wife would let me.
2: <laughs> yeah. <coughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, and and not the way my wife is, if you know Starla. Like, she is not a, let's just map it all out an hour by hour. And I'm like, I live by my calendar on that way every day. And oftentimes it's 536, I work from home, home, home office. And it's my kids getting sent into the office, be like, Hey, are you, are you done yet? And it's like, Oh yeah, I need to be done. Yeah. You know? Cause it's that, that structure is not the way relationship works, right? Like how many times can we flip through the gospels and find where Jesus is pulled off course from what seems to be a task, right? Like Jairus's daughter is dying. Right. I think I, did I just make stories? Jairus's daughter I think is where the, the bleeding woman mm-hmm. touches him. Right. It's like somebody touched me, right? So uh, Lazarus is dying. Now we're going to stay in Bethany for a little while. Anybody ever been to Israel, Jerusalem? Bethany's not far away. So it's not like he had a really good excuse. Oh, it's days and days journey. It was like, did are do doing stuff here. It's like Snellville, right? Um, and so Jesus does not think that way. He does not think in efficiency. He doesn't interact with people. He does with a vision and a purpose. But not with that efficiency and milestones, and we need to be here at this day, and um, that's really hard for me in relationship, and then carrying that over into the workplace as well makes it makes it difficult for me to not just fall in line with a culture that values people for what they can deliver rather than image bearers of God. Um, so,
0: I think that's where for for me, <coughs> um, like I I feel like for my people are the team that I lead. I'm a walking contradiction. Like my, my gift is data and spreadsheets and pivot tables and like being able to architect reports and design reporting software engineering and, and pulling that data together and making meaningful business, business decisions from <coughs> it. Where I find the most dignity in my work is when I see people achieve things beyond what they ever saw available for themselves. That's where I get my greatest joy in the work that I do. Which I think has a lot to do with numbers and data because it enables them, but most people don't speak that language, and so they don't they don't see that passion in me until so I get the opportunity to talk about it. So I feel kind of like I, like I said, like I, I'm I'm sort of um, schizophrenic in that like I love numbers and spreadsheets. That, that my team calls it my snuggie. Like if there's not an Excel spreadsheet, I'm not comfortable making a decision. Um, And ultimately like the best results at the work that at the job that I'm currently in are the people who our organization has enabled to grow from entry-level roles into leadership or careers that have enabled their families to thrive. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the dignity of, of the work that many of you get to do, right? You get the opportunity to pour into people as a Mm. small business owner, you get the opportunity to create jobs, create, Influence create provision for the people that are in your organizations. And, and whether you're leading a 15 person organization and that's one person at a time or a 50,000 person organization, and you get that influence over 10,000 people or 10 people, like that's where the Lord has called us to like, it's not, we don't need to have anything larger than what he's given right in front of us. And so that's where like, I really have, have been disciplined by this book as I've read it time and time again. It's like the Lord is calling us to be faithful where we are. Not where we think we should be or want to be, but exactly where we are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read real quick the end of chapter 2, just because I didn't do it a minute ago. Um, We were built for work and the dignity it gives us as human beings, regardless of its status or pay. The practical implications of this principle are far reaching. We have the freedom to seek work that suits our gifts and passions. We can be open to greater opportunities for work when the economy is weak and jobs are less plentiful. We no longer have any basis for condescension or superiority, nor is there any basis for envy or feelings of infidelity. And every Christian should be able to identify with conviction and satisfaction the ways in which his or her work participates with God and his creativity and cultivation. To help us do that, we turn to the biblical understanding of culture. Um, so that's, a, that's sort of a destination statement, right? I, I know the first time I read this book, I could not make all those connections. I was not cool with... The levels of work and satisfied with the places that the Lord had me. Um, and there are ways, places that I'm not today, too, right? So that's not ever going to change, but it's that perspective. Uh, so next week, as we gather again, we'll be in chapters three and four, talking about work as cultivation and as service. And as that kind of concluded in chapter two, to position for that, uh, we're going to see in cultivation and service uh, some very countercultural perspectives uh, when you take a biblical worldview versus just run of the mill everyday worldview. So um, I hope y'all will enjoy reading this. We will add in the rest of the questions on the Google document that we shared out last week. Hopefully that worked for everybody um, and you could access that, but we'll get all the questions through the end of the book, but we'll talk uh, chapter three and four next week. And please any, anything that kind of sticks out from the first, two chapters in the introduction like we'll have we'll have plenty of time to talk through all that next week as well and kind of make sure we don't miss any guys